Thank you, Pastor Ben and Jessica, for inviting me. We looked forward to this time with you. And uh, Psalm 103, he forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. Let's always remember that. It's great to be here. I bring you greetings from your superintendent, Bill Leach. He thinks the world of you and Jessica and is proud of the work that you and the Gateway Church is doing here. Amen. And it's so good to see so many people. You know, all your board members are active. I finally met Bob. What a great guy. All of them work somewhere, don't they? I saw Greg up there singing and Larry uh, on the ushering. And uh, everybody's, every, Jeff's, I, I saw Jeff, but he walked by me. He's just lollygagging today. What a great team you have here. A team of outstanding leaders, remarkable leaders, extraordinary leaders, and you are an exceptional church, and I'm real thrilled to be here. Are you ready to hear from God's Word today? You ready to get charged up for missions? Missions is part of God's heart. Put your hand on your heart. Say, everywhere I walk, I carry the realm of another world. I'm an ambassador for God's kingdom. And therefore, all the resources of that kingdom can flow through my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I like to give my testimony when it's the first time somebody's met me, and this is the first time most of you have met me, because I learned that you can believe one thing and still get wrong results if you haven't experienced what you believe. There are many people that believe in being born again, but they're not born again, so the minute their heart quits beating, they will go to the regions of the damned to await the great white throne judgment where everyone will be pronounced guilty to spend eternity in that uh, place called hell that was not prepared for man but the devil and his angels. And I was raised in a church. I believed all the right things. I went to catechism. I believed in God the Father Almighty. I believed he created the heavens and earth. I believed in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, who was conceived of the, of, of, of the Holy Spirit, born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, and then he was executed outside Jerusalem on a cross. I believed he died on the cross, descended into hell the third day he rose from the dead. I believed that. And I believed he ascended into heaven and he promised to come again to judge the living and the dead. I believed that, but if my heart were to quit beating, I would have gone to the dungeons of the damned to await that awful second resurrection where everyone will be declared guilty before God. Why? Because what I believed was not my experience. I had never experienced God. I had never experienced Jesus Christ. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And there are people all over America and the world in churches that know about God and know about Jesus but have never experienced Him personally. And there are people that know about missions but have never experienced missions. There are people that have heard testimonies of those who have sown money into the kingdom of God and received a harvest later on, but you've never experienced it. Many believe in missions, believe the Great Commission, but they've never really experienced the Great Commission. I'm so thankful there were a couple missionary guys in the U.S. Navy. Terry Miller, who's a pastor in Ocean Beach now, and Howard Malone, lost track of him. I just 
connected with Terry, who led me to the Lord 35 years later when I was preaching at Angelus Temple. Him and his wife were in the congregation there visiting. And I jumped off the platform and ran out there and hugged him and thanked him for leading me to the Lord. Everybody went wild in that church that day. But I was aboard the USS Buck off the coast of Vietnam for 31 days, and actually 13 months, but off and on. We were on a 31-day stint at the mouth of the Mekong on operations, and we got relieved. We were going to go to Taiwan for just a couple of days before we went back and relieved somebody else. And June 3rd, 1969, we got a call that night as we were just the, the same. We were relieved at 9 o'clock at night. At 3 o'clock in the morning, we're getting a call from Captain Paul J. Mode aboard the USS Buck saying, we have to go back. Our sister ship, the USS Frank Evans, just had an accident in the South China Sea. The Australian ship carrier, Melbourne, accidentally hit our sister ship and cut it in half and the forward half sunk within 13 minutes with 72 men aboard. And we were to have search and rescue. I, You know, I believed all the right things, but if I'd have been on that ship that day, on the forward part of that ship, I would be in the dungeons of the damned, a place called hell right now, awaiting that great white throne judgment, which will take place after the millennium. And... Uh, I started thinking about my soul. I had talked to my counterpart. I had to go on the after part of the ship to see if we could salvage electrical gear, electronic gear. And I started thinking about my soul. What if I was on that ship? I talked to my counterpart. He told me the horrors of the superheated steam that he saw cut people right in half. And I saw a mug that said dad on it. And I wondered if that dad was ever coming home to his kids, if that dad survived that owned that mug. And it haunted me for a long time. I finally got transferred, and I was aboard the USS Reasoner now, and there were two sailors, Howard Malone, Terry Miller, that always held up their index finger to each other. Every time they saw each other on the ship, they'd hold up their index finger. Now, that's not the finger I was accustomed to seeing go up. And so I was curious. I asked Howard, how, how come every time you see Terry, you hold up your index finger? And he said, don't you know, that means there's one way to God, and it's Jesus. Well, I'd been thinking about my soul because of the tragedy of June 3rd, 1969. And uh, so I started sneaking up to the radar room at night to talk to him about Jesus. They saw themselves as missionaries in the U.S. Navy. I'd sneak up there. We'd talk. For hours, I was very interested. But it would only be at night when nobody saw me. I was Nick at night. (laughs) One day, Sunday night, I said, if you ever need a ride to church, let me know. I had a 1963 Ford Futura, canary yellow, beautiful hood scoop, four on the floor, and chrome exhaust. I was in a little tiny steering wheel. Back then, those were hot. And... uh, I never dreamed that it would be the next day. On Monday, they would say, we need a ride to church. I said, this is not Sunday. This is Monday. Oh, we have a Bible study on Monday. And you did say you'd give us a ride to church. So they put a couple guys in my car. And there were, were, I guess, four or five of us in my car. And we headed up the highway from San Diego. And we drove and we drove and we drove. And they're singing Amazing Grace, which was okay because Judy Collins had a popular version of Amazing Grace on every jukebox in every bar in San Diego. 
And I liked it. Sing it again, guys. And we're bouncing with the bad shocks up the highway. Finally, I said, how far is this church? They said, oh, it's only about 85 miles north of here. We drove all the way up to Costa Mesa, pulled in the corner of Sunflower and Fairview, and there was a big tent set up. And there were hippies and people in coats and ties. And they were talking really weird, like, hallelujah, glory to God. Praise the Lord, brother Maranatha. Agape. And I thought... They're taking me to some cult. (laughs) Turned out it was Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, that was in the Jesus movement. And there were a few thousand people there in the tent that night. And Chuck just taught an hour on Daniel chapter 2, verse by verse. Talked about Nebuchadnezzar's image and how a little stone not cut with human hands is going to come and crush the feet of that image. And all of it's going to be like dust blowing the wind and human governments will be forgotten, and Jesus will set up his kingdom. And he said, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. How many would like to receive Jesus? Well, I raised my hand. Now, you would have thought I caught a football. People started tackling me. Praise the Lord, brother. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Agape Maranatha. Let's go pray the prayer. That's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life because my doctrine now became my experience. Doctrine is not just meant to be memorized. It's meant to be experienced. And I experienced being born again that night. My life has never been the same since. And I remember when Mary Jo and I believed in missions, but we had never, you know, we'd give a dollar here and there, but we had never made a commitment to missions till we attended in 1970-something a missions convention and we made our first, first faith promise of $2 a week, $104 for the year. We were only making $125 back then. It was our first year of ministry. And uh, we, we made a faith promise of $2. You see, you just got to start where you are. You don't have to start with 10000 or 70000 You start with where you, whatever God lays on your heart, and then he'll, he'll channel it through you. Well, I found there's some great benefits to putting what's on God's heart. Missions Convention, this is the most pivotal weekend in the history of this church because what we do today is going to determine what God will do for us tomorrow. I said last night, the earth will give an oak tree, but we must first surrender an acorn. Before every breakthrough, something has to be surrendered. And Mary Jo and I have learned over the years that when we surrender to God, what God tells us to surrender, he always brings us something way more than what we surrendered. Those that sow in tears will reap in joy. Yeah, oh man, this is hard. I remember God asked us to give $50,000 one year to missions. And uh, it was big then. We knew we could give 25000 because we'd done that before. But now he said double it. Maybe God's speaking to some of you to raise yours 30% or 50% or 100%. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not God. If he says, you know, one cent, make it one cent. The thing is obey. And we, it was hard writing out that, that faith promise for $50,000 because we were going to give more than we were going to take, more than we were going to live on. And, <clears throat> and so we, we went... Uh, getting close to the end of missions year and we had given the 25 but I didn't know where the other 25,000 was going to come from do you know in a matter of three weeks God gave me a miracle and I had a check for $35,000 and uh, I was able to tithe and 
give that faith promise. I, I, I wanted to buy a car, but I, th- I ran into the... I ran into the office real quick and gave that $25,000. It's true. Psalm 112 is an interesting uh, psalm because it talks about the difference between ordinary and extraordinary, the difference between mediocre and exceptional. It talks about the generous person and all the blessings that are promised to the generous person or the generous church. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. How many want your children to be successful? Your grandchildren to be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy. How many would like to be known as being wealthy? Somebody says, well, there he goes again. He's a health and wealth preacher. Well, that's better than being a sickness and poverty preacher. I was preaching in Springfield before a, a group of distinguished people, and I, I quoted something, and some guy actually in the background yelled out, that sounds like Tulsa theology to me, right in front of the whole symposium. I looked up at him, I said, you call it whatever you want to call it. I call it Luke 638-ology. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. I started getting notes from top people like Lauren Triplett, who was missions director, and he said, David, this is superb teaching. Will you take it around the whole country? And he flew me to California, to Washington, D.C., to Atlanta, Georgia, all around the country to share with ministers the power of Luke 6, 38. And it says, They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They're genuine, compassionate, righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct business fairly. And again, this is not about getting. It's not about money. It's about obedience, and it's about attracting into our lives what we're becoming. Missions convention is always a time not just about missions, but about us. What are we going to become in the days ahead? What are we personally and our families and our church going to become in the days ahead? And we begin to attract what we become. Not We don't attract what we want. People want a lot of things. But we attract what we're becoming. It says such people will not be overcome with evil. They will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They're confident, fearless, can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. Now, I never pastored a church before in my life. I became pastor of a 125-member church. We had 226 attenders on Sunday. Today, we had over 6,000 adherents, 6,000 people that called it their church. Back then, we had one Mount Hope church. Today, we have 43 Mount Hope churches in Michigan, 200, over 200 in Asia, 300 in West Africa, one in Zimbabwe, three in South Africa. Back then, if we $3,000 came in the offering, we'd be jumping for joy. When I left, if $203,000 did not come in the offering, we were crying. We had one church, and today over 40 in Michigan alone. 
we were giving $3,500 to missions in a year. And when I left, we were giving $3 million in missions a year. We had 28, we, we had uh, about $300,000 in assets back in 1981. When I left, it was more like something like $28 million in, in assets in property alone. Because we determined from the start we were going to put what's on God's heart first. And we found all the benefits, all the benefits of Psalm 112 happening in our church. Did it happen by coincidence or was it a blessing of the Lord? What did we find? Number one, and this is for you, four big benefits to prioritizing what's on God's heart, missions. We saw a direct relationship between our missions giving and our income. Mary Jo and I saw this in our personal lives. A direct, a direct relationship between the faith promises we made to missions and the income we received for our own lives. The church saw a tripling of our income when we decided not only to take faith promises but to tithe on the tithe. We tripled again when we decided instead of just... Uh, Letting the people that are, when we go on MAPS trips, have the, have the materials ready, we'd send ahead seventy five or $100,000 so they would have the wood, the bricks, everything ready for us when we got there. My son David made a promise for just one night. He was a senior in high school. He was a janitor at our church. And uh, we were having a college night, and I wanted to raise $100,000 before just from our staff and workers. We had, I think, 83 uh, staff members at that time. And I wanted to raise $100,000. My son gave half of his whole paycheck, his two-week paycheck, so one week's work, a whole week's work, he gave half of his paycheck to that event that we had so that I could have $100,000 before the people even arrived. Within two weeks, a man came up to me and said, Pastor Dave, when I was stepping off my airplane today, God spoke to me. He said, it just shook me. He said, I stopped and listened. And he said, I want you to pay for Pastor Dave's son's uh, uh, college four years. He went to Oral Roberts University four years and didn't have to pay a thing because God spoke to somebody else. And I said, David, that's my son. I said, it's because you planted the acorn. God's given you the oak tree. And then later he came on staff in our communications department after he graduated from ORU, and he decided he wanted to be a lawyer. And my son gives and gives and makes faith promises. He, for a young man, he probably gives 25, 30% of his income to the Lord. He goes and helps orphanages and so many things he does. What happened? He met Cliff Taylor, who was the chief justice of the Michigan Supreme Court, and found favor with Cliff Taylor, and Cliff Taylor gave him some connections. The next thing you know, my son gets a full scholarship through law school. He graduated, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago. He's practicing law in East Lansing, Michigan right now. Is that a coincidence, or is that a blessing from the Lord? This weekend, God's going to ask you to plant an acorn. It's for your future oak. He's going to ask you to plant something in faith, to listen to God, do it whether it makes any sense or not. This is why I always like people to make faith promises 
for the whole year, not the month or the week, because if we make it by the week or the month, we're too tempted to get out our calculator and try to figure out what we can afford. It's not about what we can. Mary Jo and I could never afford any faith promise we made to the Lord. We listened to him, and he channeled it through us. I mean, we've seen $35,000, $25,000, one time $90,000 come into our lives to pay our faith promises. It's beautiful. So we saw a direct relationship between our income and what we did for missions, both in the church and our own personal lives. Number two, we saw that by prioritizing missions, we had a built-in growth guarantee for our church. Now, I believe God's got great things in store for the Gateway Church. I believe you're going to be have remarkable evangelism. You're going to have unusual growth, acceleration, and some unusual miracles that are going to be released all around the community through the people of the Gateway Church. I believe that with all my heart. And we've been praying about these meetings for a long time, and and God is speaking to us uh, concerning your church, and it's all good. I'm glad of that. But if you picture God having a big adoption agency, and he's singing, where should I have my new children born? And who should I have my new children be watched over by? Do you think it's going to be a church that has no heart for God? That doesn't put what's on God's heart first? Or it's going to be a church that puts what's on God's heart first? The very last thing Jesus said before he went away was go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them uh, to observe everything whatsoever I have commanded. Now, if if God's going to want get people born again... It's going to be primarily in places that have God's heart. So we saw it, and we saw some crazy people being born again. The prostitute from Rudder Park got born again in our church. I looked at her, and I thought Jezebel had risen from the dead or something, you know. And, and, I didn't, and people said, don't you know who that is? And I said, no, I don't know who that is. Well, that gave her name from Rudder Park. She's the famous prostitute in Lansing. And I said, how did you know that? The next week she comes back and I give the altar call and she's got a guy in this arm and a guy in this arm. She's dragging him up to the altar to be saved. She, one after one, her former Johns, she started leading to the Lord. She became a godly woman, married, had children. And, and what a beautiful thing. We've seen that over and over and over again. Our altar calls went from three a week to 35 a week coming to Christ when we started focusing on what was on God's heart i couldn't believe it uh pastor ben when they told me that in our 30 years we gave over 40 million to missions i couldn't believe it when they announced that at the celebration when i was leaving and so i went to a cpa and i said would you check this out he checked it out and he said yeah it was over 40 million how does that happen just like i said last night two dollars here $50 there, $100 here. A little by little, it's amazing what we can do. But you want to build in growth guarantee in this church. So number one, direct relationship between our income, corporately and personally. And number two, build in growth guarantee. Number three, by prioritizing missions, here's what we noticed, that our honor and authority was being exalted in the community, just as it said in verse 5. 
Psalm 112. All of a sudden, things started happening. I mean, it took a little while, but 1987, the mayor called me. I want you to be the Grand Marshal of the Memorial Day Parade because I want somebody that represents God to uh, lead the parade for the Memorial Day. And I want you to speak at the Memorial Day celebration. I said, this is crazy. So Mary Jonah and people had told me, don't ever expect a big work in Lake. Listen, there will always be naysayers, Pastor. Don't expect a big work in Spring Lake or Grand Haven, or Muskegon, or Norton Shore. Don't ever expect, they'll have all kinds of reasons, and they'll act spiritual. Some will even prophesy. Somebody said, don't expect a great work in Lansing. There's too many political demons. Somebody said, there's a Samson spirit. Somebody said, no, Lansing's in the post-Christian era. I heard at least five different excuses on why churches couldn't grow in Lansing. I said, we're going to put God's heart first, and I'm going to focus on the Holy Spirit, not the Samson spirit or the political spirits. So Mary Jo and I get into our convertible limousine, that the, and, and we're waving at all the crowds down the Lansing streets. Grand Marshal of the Memorial Day Parade, Pastor Dave Williams. And I just happened to look behind the car, and here, here came the senators, the mayor, the city council, all the assemblymen on foot, walking behind our limousine. I go to the Secretary of State's office, take my test. It was a year I had to take another test. Handed it in. The guy picked it up. He looked out of his glass, little half glass and said, You're Reverend Williams, aren't you? And I said, Yes. And he wadded the test up and threw it in the waste can without even looking at it. I thought, Oh, no. <laughs> and he said, Did a guy come to you by the name of, he told me his name. I said, No. He said, well, I wouldn't give him his license. His eyes were all glassy. I think he was on drugs. And I told him, unless Pastor Williams gives me the okay, I'm not giving you a driver's license. I thought, this is great. I can determine who gets their driver's license or not. No. He gave me mine, and I thought, let's see, who's missed Sunday school three weeks in a row? They don't need a driver's license anymore. I'll just call my friend at the Secretary of State. I never did that. But we saw our influence. Police were calling us for prayer requests. Judges started calling us to pray when they had tough cases. Doctors started referring patients to our church as their last hope. Influence Influence and honor goes up when we put what's on God's heart first. And missions is what's on God's heart. These people that have never heard, those that are on the front part of the ship, that are, that are going down. Number four, as we prioritize missions more and more, we begin to notice more and more dramatic miracles happening. Now, I never noticed this before, but I realized that when Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe, in my name they'll cast out devils, they'll lay hands on the sick, the sick will recover, the Lord will work with them uh, with signs following, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, that was given in connection with the Great Commission, going into all the world and preaching us. We started seeing more dramatic miracles. Blind, a blind lady came after we just increased our missions giving. A blind lady came that I didn't even know, got her eyesight back, confirmed by her doctor. A young man with AIDS came. He looked like he was healed, and he straightened out, went and had spleen surgery. I mean, he was almost on his His parents had bought his uh, 
his uh, funeral suit and had already made arrangements because he only had like a couple days left and full of sores, just emaciated. And boom, all of a sudden he starts gaining weight. He calls the church, what did you do to me? He comes to church, he has spleen surgery, and they check his blood. The AIDS is gone. He got married, had a child. That happened. And we started seeing more and more dramatic miracles happening in our church the more we focused on what was on God's heart. Over and over again, I've seen these four benefits in people's lives, individuals' lives, in the corporate lives of churches everywhere. What are the churches that are growing? What are the churches that are experiencing miracles, real miracles? I mean, I could tell you miracle after miracle. You know, maybe you've never experienced a miracle. I've seen financial miracles, creative miracles. Believe it or not, I've seen cake multiply. The couples ministry were having cake down in the multipurpose room. And I got up and announced, everybody's welcome. And they're freaking out. This was only for the couples. Now everybody goes down and they actually prayed over the cake that it would multiply. And like four times more people than they were expecting came down and they had 12 pieces of cake left. Well, Brother Williams, I don't believe that. You probably don't believe the Bible either, do you? <laughs> Is it a coincidence, number one, that we can have a built-in growth guarantee, that our income will, in both our business and our personal lives, will have a relationship to our missions giving? Miracles have a relationship to putting what's on God's heart first and our honor and influence increase. Almost every day I pray, Lord, give me a greater influence for Jesus Christ everywhere I go. And that's why I always say, everywhere I walk, I carry the realm of another world. I want to be ready to pray. I want to be ready to minister. I want to be ready for something good. Well, you're going to make a faith promise today for missions. I mean, some of you are. God speaks to you. And if it's something that you've figured out with a calculator, yeah, I think I can afford this. It probably isn't God. God always asks for something that's unusual because he's designing something that's going to be extraordinary for you down the road. And it's about seed planting. You can call it Tulsa theology if you want. Doesn't matter to me. My son's an ORU graduate. Mary Jo and I were in Oral Roberts' home before he died, praying for each other. I couldn't believe he asked me to pray for him. I said, How do you pray for Oral Roberts? But he prayed for he laid his hands on Mary Jo and me and prayed his anointing into us. And we prayed it into our board and our staff. And they started going out and seeing miracles happen. One guy said, how come all good things flow to you? Because Mary Jo and I, this is the truth. We always try to consider what's important to God's heart first. 
you're here today, and maybe your doctrine, you have doctrine that you haven't experienced, call out to Jesus today. And you're here today, maybe you've never made a faith promise, and you don't know what God's asking you to do, just ask him. That's where we begin to hear God's voice. He'll put a number for the whole year down. He might say 5,000. He might say 1,000. He might say 10,000. He might say, I want you to be the one to give 120,000 so that that 120,000, when he announces it next year, will actually be 240,000. I see the day when you're giving 2 million and 3 million to missions. Awesome. God's got big things in store for the Gateway Church. And Pastor Ben and Jessica, Reagan, I, I, and your son Logan, I, I just thank you for sticking with it because I know there are a lot of bumps in the early years. Thank you for sticking with it. You've got an awesome future. The people of this church are exceptional. They have a touch of God on their lives that is more than a touch. It's an anointing, almost like a blanket. And God's favor is shining on you in the name of Jesus, and he's lifting you, launching you, and taking you not just to another level, but I believe a whole new dimension of his grace and power. In Jesus' name, amen.